What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. Ah, Growing up in the 90s, where Technicolor animals riding rainbow hearts and stars reigned supreme. At least on school supplies. The Lisa Frank Company had more than 30 years of success before bad management and less than ideal work environments started to dull the shine on this company's tiara. But despite dwindling sales and changing fads, it keeps fighting for a major comeback. Making Lisa Frank a business on the brink. Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. And this uh, episode requires a little explanation, apparently, right, Ariel? Because you said that you were chatting with folks about the fact that you were doing an episode on Lisa Frank. And a lot of them had the same reaction that I had, which was... Who is Lisa Frank? Yeah. Yeah. um, To be fair, I didn't just pick this out of the blue. This is a listener request. And the listener request is from Leslie Valdez. Thank you, Leslie. I knew who you were talking about. Um, Lisa Frank was an artist in the— Still is. Is an artist, yes. Um, Primarily popular in the 90s. She started in the 70s. She's still around today and, of course, has some of that retro fad, and we'll get into all of that. Um, If— if you remember school supplies in the 90s, really, you could find her anywhere. It was Especially things like trapper keepers. Trapper keepers or pencils mm. or stickers or or erasers. She was the one with the dolphins, with the multicolored 
ice cream cones or the unicorns and the rainbows everywhere. The rainbow leopards. Yeah. Cats wear fluffy cats wearing jewelry. So like I had no idea what Ariel was talking about when she said, let's do Lisa Frank. And I said, I don't, I don't, who what? And then she said, Trapper Keepers. I said, oh, and she said, rainbows. I'm like, oh, yeah. Now I know. Like I, I, my high school career uh, ended like the trapper keeper craze was uh I I I was through that mm-hmm. it happened by the late 80s early 90s that's when I was in school uh, but I graduated by the early 90s it was w- kind of when trapper keeper craze was dying down at least as far as I could tell of course I was also in high school at that time where we were all using much more sober notebooks yeah I was uh in elementary school when Lisa Frank was super Why popular. Why are you ashamed of that? You should be proud <laughs> that you are not ancient like I am. And I had a Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper, but I was not allowed to stick it in my desk because it took up too much space. Oh, gotcha. So, so yeah, um, we're going to talk about this artist and this company. And uh, to be completely honest, I mean, I everything in this episode was new to me. I had mm-hmm. not, I was not aware of any of this stuff. Honestly, I, you know, I enjoyed Lisa Frank, but I never really dived into it before this. Uh, a lot of it was new to me too and kind of surprising. Well, let's start with who is Lisa Frank? All right. Well, Lisa Frank, as we said, is an artist. She was born near Detroit uh, and she loved art Ever since she was a little kid, uh, her dad collected art. He worked He worked in the mechanic in the automotive industry. But uh, was an art collector. That's interesting. But was an art collector, yeah. yeah. Um, her parents encouraged this in her. They put her in classes, in art classes, starting at age five. No, oh, cool. And uh, Yeah, so she goes to class. She starts to learn the craft of art. So she already had the interest. She actually starts painting when she's still in school. And by the time she's in high school, she's – not just painting, she's actually selling artwork. Selling artwork. Like like doing it's a it's a nice side hustle. I mean, she was making like what, like three grand? Yeah, she made three grand selling, you know, I don't know how many pieces. Uh apparently she sold one piece to Lee Iacocca. I mean, it was Detroit. Yeah. So, yeah, this uh, that was from a piece that was in Jezebel.com. Jezebel.com has a huge, huge article full of documents about what happened to the Lisa Frank company or what people think was the the downfall of her prominence. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to give a shout out to them because if you have more questions after this, you should definitely check out their article. Right. Also, we want to point out that a lot of the information we're pulling from here comes from like second – hand accounts yeah. that have been given to various media sources. So we're we're doing our best with that as well. Uh, this is one of those where we're looking at a lot of like testimonials from people mm-hmm. as opposed to things like, you know, documents that were filed with the SEC yeah. or something. I mean, there are court documents of testimonies, but still. Yeah, so we'll get into that yeah. too. All right. So, all right. So she she's in high school. She's She starts already selling art. She's already technically a professional artist. What happens after that? Well, she graduates high school and she starts college in the early 70s. Uh, She went to the University of Arizona where she studied art. Mm -hmm. Big surprise. Yep. Uh, And before she started Lisa Frank Incorporated, because she did that not too far off from this point, she tried her hand at making jewelry. So first she bought jewelry and sold it, and then she sourced jewelry, basically asking for specific things in the jewelry and then selling it. And then she started making her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, she made plastic charm bracelets, or at least charm bracelets with plastic charms on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she launched that when she was 20. 
The line of jewelry was called Sticky Fingers, and again, she had pretty good success. She was selling it in Bloomingdale's and Neiman Marcus. Yeah, not not bad for a 20-year-old. That's yeah. a very enterprising young woman at that stage. Uh, and this meant that she had the—it was a story we've seen a thousand times before. People, we all know, making your own jewelry is a gateway— for very serious yep. things like making your own line of stickers. Yes, which is what she did. Yeah. Stickers and then buttons. And she sold that at first. Um, and she changed her company name, I guess. I couldn't find what her original company name was. I'm guessing maybe Sticky Fingers Jewelry or something. Probably, yeah. Uh, and she changed her company name to Lisa Frank Incorporated in 1979 when she was 24. Mm-hmm. And within a year, she got an order from the novelty store Spencer's. I don't even, that's another sh- store we should probably put on the brink at one point. Yeah. Because I remember like that was omnipresent. Every mall had a Spencer's uh, in the in the 80s and 90s. And anyway, Spencer's puts in an order and this uh, this certainly helped the fledgling business because it was for a million dollars worth of stickers. Yes, that's that's not bad for a 25 year old. Not at all. Um, in 1982, and we're already kind of getting to the precursors to the brink here. So yeah, this this is like this is like setting up the the uh, the the Chekhov's gun that yeah. we will later see fire. That's for those who don't know what Chekhov's gun is. Just uh, do a quick Wikipedia search. <laughs> That's a drama re- reference yes, there. Yes. All right, so in 1982, a guy by the name of James Green started working at Lisa Frank Incorporated as an illustrator and designer. He was her first illustrator-designer. Okay. And so at this point, he and Lisa are actually still doing all the illustrations themselves by hand. Like, mm-hmm. they're, this, is, this isn't this is computer-aided design or anything. They're making all those designs yeah, themselves. All of, all of the drawing and the painting and the coloring. And the next year, he and Lisa started dating. Okay, so I have a feeling that this might come back to play when we talk about lessons learned. Yes. In 1987, that's when they launched the school supply line, which would be an incredible success for the company. Yes. And they also, within the next year, started working with computer illustrations, not just hand-drawn illustrations. Yeah, Lisa wasn't as computer savvy at the time, so that's why it took so long. Also, computers were newer. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, 88. That's pretty early if you're getting into self, the self-publishing self. Like, it, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing all this work yourself. You're not, you didn't come up through the school system learning graphic design on computers. So, yeah, this is... You know, it's a it's a challenge. It's a barrier to entry if you're self-taught. Yeah. Also, by 1988, James Green was an officer in LFI, Lisa Frank Incorporated. And by 1992, he was the president and CEO of the company. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years later in 1994, he and Lisa Frank got married and they had kids. And then she gave over most of the company's operations to him. To, to run the company while she raised the kids. She would check in now and then. Right. But he, right. he dealt with a lot of the day-to-day. And they were the two shareholders of this company. There were only two owners, stake owners, yes, in she, the company. She, she was one of them and he was the other. Yeah, she actually gifted half of her, almost half of her stock to him. Yeah, so he had 49% ownership. She had 51%. Yes. Um, Things seem to be going well. You know, the school supply line, of course, was a big hit. And Lisa Frank Incorporated reached its peak of popularity in the 1990s, Mm -hmm. Uh, at which point uh, Lisa opened a 320,000-square-foot factory in Tucson, Arizona 
1996. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this one, uh, you <laughs> I like your description that you wrote in the notes here. It was brightly colored with art and statues and characters like the ones in the products and illustrations. It was supposed to be a magical place to visit and work. Um, Except for later on, uh, we'll learn that maybe not many people visited it. Yeah, and maybe working for Lisa Frank was a different, horrible, scary kind of magical. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be all of the things that she loves. She loves color. She loves animals. She loves everything that she says is quote-unquote girly. Yeah. So uh, she wanted to promote that and encourage that. And, and have it have it just kind of ingrained into company culture and company buildings and furniture and things. Yes. And, yeah. I mean, and, and opening a, a factory at this point was not that odd of a thought because they were making over $60 million a year mm-hmm. at that point. Right. And uh, that meant that she and her husband were getting – you know, a a nice healthy profit. They were the two stake owners, right, Mm -hmm. for this company. So between 95 and 2005, in that decade, they ended up getting shareholder distributions of more than $100 million. Which, you know, providing their house is reasonably affordable. Uh, Reasonably. $100 million. This is the furthest thing from a starving (laughs) artist you could possibly get. Anyhow, by 1998... The factory was producing $250 million of product a year. Good grief. According to a report from CNN. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that that number is fairly accurate. Okay. So we're building up here. We've got a company that is doing crazy popular business in the 90s, hundreds of millions of dollars in sales and, you know, $100 million in profit over the course of 10 years. You've got an artist founder who has put that stamp on the company itself. Where do things start to go wrong? Because right now it just sounds like this was just a, 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 a almost the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory kind of company. Um, if it was, then her employees felt like very um, poorly treated Oompa Loompas, apparently. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of high turnover. On top of that, there was also, um, you know, just changing market. Like, right. you, you have to deal with fads. They, they come and go. Sure. Um, yeah. Some things are a fad. Some things are a trend. And you, it's good to know the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, we'll definitely get more into that. But I think first we need to take a quick break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. 
Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Okay, Ariel, before we went to break, you were talking about how there were some uh, employees who were starting to express unhappiness, like there was a high turnover rate. Mm-hmm. That was just sort of the the tip of the iceberg, though, because you have some very specific incidents here in our notes, starting with some people who were actually responsible for building that factory we mentioned before the break. Yeah, so the contractors and the builders, at least some of them, filed a $4 million lo- lawsuit against Lisa Frank Incorporated in 1998, um, because they were saying they hadn't been paid for their work in building the factory. Right. And this was just the very beginning of that change in public perception of the company. Yeah. Because by 2001, it had a very different uh, reputation, at least in the Tucson, Arizona region, right? Yeah. People would call it the crappiest place to work in the world. Um, it had a nickname of the Rainbow Gulag because, again, this wow. this factory was like, again, according to Jezebel.com and then some other personal accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how widespread that was, but I've seen it referenced a few times. Um, it, it just, people would warn against working at this company. Um, that's yeah. I mean, that's obviously anytime you run across that, like let's say you go on the glass door or something, uh-huh. and you're just trying to get a quick snapshot of what is it like to be part of this organization, and you start seeing things like that. I mean, that's never good. And if you're seeing like that's the overwhelming consensus, that's that's a huge warning. Yeah, their glass door rating is ridiculously low. Wow. And it has, I mean, it has a review from 2019 on there. Um, I don't, it's, the person said they were former employees, so I don't know. How far back that How goes. far back it was, but yeah. um, reports and reviews, both both on Glassdoor and other places say that the factory was poorly maintained, deadlines were poorly organized, the company lacked compassionate management, talent wasn't nurtured and guided, and that's all putting it very nicely. Wow. Um Many reports say the management was often outright cruel. And again, we'll get it, it, the more we talk about this, we'll uncover more of that. It's starting to sound like the the factory in Les Mis, where the the foreman is just the absolute worst tyrant in the world, and then Valjean, the owner, walks in and is like, 
whoa, I totally had no idea. Yeah. uh, People say they were micromanaged and underpaid, uh, that they weren't allowed to talk to each other or have visitors. Wow. And that, you know, well, Amazon has... Sure, I, but Amazon they also, also doesn't like a lot of talking. But in they their also workplace. they also get a lot of of criticism for that very yeah, fact. I mean, yeah. you, you've seen a lot of calls for boycotts of Amazon on things like Prime Day mm-hmm. because of the conditions that have been reported in their warehouses. So, uh, yeah, this is eye opening stuff. It's also, I mean, it's just also such a juxtaposition of the appearance of the products. Mm-hmm. It's all bright, shiny, and happy. And then these the stories, which could not be further from that appearance. Yeah. I mean, a lot of companies are poorly organized. A lot of companies are poorly maintained. Um, and especially in later years, the factory was poorly maintained as mm-hmm. things continued to continued fall apart. To Maybe fall we should apart. keep yeah. on going then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. But, I mean, it's really hard to work with management who is not appreciative and – most of that blame falls on James Green. Yeah. There were a lot of allegations made against him. And we're not necessarily saying these allegations are true. We're saying that people made these allegations yeah. against him. I mean, he there were rumors that he did drugs, that he cheated on his wife, that uh and and that he was gonna tank the company. Um and specifically rumors that he was cheating with the VP of Lisa Frank, Rhonda Rowlett. Wow. Yeah. Um, Lisa didn't get very high marks herself from several of the former employer reviews I've read. Like she would watch over your shoulder while you work and corrected you. She'd correct you and it wouldn't always make sense. Um, There were some accounts of her yelling and threatening lives of employees if they messed up a presentation or if mistakes happened. That seems a little extreme. It seems a little extreme, but most most of what I've read – most of the fault goes to James. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, they said, I mean, it really chalks up to the fact that Lisa and James are not business people. They didn't really know how to run a business. Lisa had a great product and she had great design concept. Mm-hmm. But running a large company, she wasn't. That wasn't her That wasn't her skill set. Yeah. And he had been hired on as an illustrator. Yeah, yeah. And that they just weren't nurturing the people who could help them succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2001, the factory was listed for sale. Wow. For the first okay. time. Yeah. Um, and I, I take it, since you said for the first time, there were no buyers. I, I don't believe so. It's been on and off the market, I think, up until this point. Up wow. Up until today. Okay. Yeah. Um, between the year 2003 and 2004, um, 80 employees walked out with very little notice or reason because they were just done. Yeah. Like, well, how, how many, how much of that, how big was their workforce entirely? Like, um, I saw some reports saying somewhere around 350, some, some saying around 400. Okay. So that was a significant number of their employees. Yeah. 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 And then in 2004, there was a large round of layoffs bringing staff down to around a hundred. So the people who got out might have just been like, well, at least I yeah. got to leave on my terms. I mean, there was a lot of turnover. So a lot yeah. of people left on their terms or got fired on Sundays when they didn't know what was going on or why. Uh, so they'd come in and find out they don't have a job. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. In 2005, it uh. looks it looked like Lisa Frank was trying to correct course. She divorced her husband. 
Uh, some reports say she had been toying with that idea for a while, but she was worried about how it would affect the company. Mm-hmm. Some reports say that he was abusive to her like he was abusive in the company. She sued him for poor management of her company, uh, of the people and the funds within the company. Um, and James and Rhonda both got really, really, really negative reports from the employees that Lisa was able to get affidavits from mm. regarding this. So the content of those statements painted a pretty grim and uh, an, an unflattering picture, which, again, is in line with the stuff we've already said earlier in this episode, right? Yeah. Uh, people said that Green was intimidating and abusive, degrading, disrespecting. And these are words I'm pulling directly from the court documents. documents. Yeah, this isn't just like uh, a piece that sums everything up. Yeah. Uh, he called them names. He threatened them. He would monitor their phone calls and emails. Wow. For no apparent reason other than he just didn't trust them. Uh, he he harassed people. He let people go without reason, which that's iffy because cause for firing, there's – you can fire people for a lot of reasons. Yeah. If you work in certain yeah. states like ours, you can fire them for no reason. Yeah. And <laughs> right then, to work states. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, the these documents also said that Rhonda was helping enforce ha- enforce these tactics. And yeah. She was also abusive as well, which goes back to that rumor that they were having an affair. Oof. Um, I could go on and on. That's just a small sample of the things people said that he did in the company and the ways that he was tanking the company. Uh, we don't have time to go into all of them. Yeah, it would be – also, it would just be depressing. Yeah, and uh, – and they are personal people's personal, I guess, testimonies. Um, right. But you can look up these documents online if you're really interested. And uh, James Green was not going to go quietly. He actually would uh, countersue the Lisa Frank Incorporated Company because uh, he didn't want to have to give up his nearly half share of that company. I mean, that was the substantial source of his income, like millions of dollars worth of value there. Yeah. But, uh, but that battle would be won. He would lose, though, as we understand it, court cases take a while. So it that case stretched on for about five years. Yes. Um, also, in 2006, so before this case is over, Ronda Rallet's husband sued Lisa Frank in regards to allegations of stolen property. That lawsuit was dismissed. Yikes. And we're not done with lawsuits yet. No, no. So 2009, James Green tries to evict his wife from the factory, and he is trying to convince his children, his sons, to let him do it. And uh, they had to give him written consent in order for this to go forward. And he was trying to do this by establishing his own company. He he had his own company established. Yeah. Um. And I think his sons were a part of that, and that's why they had to have this buy-in. Right. Um, but they didn't buy in. Yeah. They did not side with him on this case. No. And and since then, uh, Lisa and James have had fights over um, all everything. Sorts of, all sorts of aspects of their lives. And when we say fights, we mean like like lawsuits. Lawsuits. Like over who gets what furniture even. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, you know, granted, I mean, there's only so many unicorns you can fit into a house, but come on. 
You know, I bet that number is pretty high for Lisa Frank. Lisa Frank, probably. Um, By 2011, the Lisa Frank factory was considered vacant, although she was still doing some design work there and keeping some inventory there. Um, She had cut most of her staff due due to an exclusive licensing agreement with CSS Industries. So they were actually making the stuff Mm -hmm. that she was designing. They were no longer producing this out of the factory in Tucson. No, no. CSS said, we'll manufacture and sell your products for you. And we'll get you distributed nationwide and make you $15 million a year. I mean, that's not a that's not a bad, you know, that's not a bad piece of cheddar there, $15 million. But it's still amazing to me to think that there is a, a practically empty warehouse where there's like maybe a couple of offices that people are working in. And maybe there's like, I don't know, a metric crap ton of rainbows yeah. and unicorn stickers. Yeah. It, it seems it's the story is so weird. It is. I mean, we'll get to it later. Uh, reports say that closer to the time we're recording this, she was around to six staff members who then had to, I guess, report to the office at the Lisa Frank factory that was getting overgrown with weeds and wow. basically a ghost town. Well, and and to make matters more complicated in the time frame we were just chatting about, so this agreement was that she was led to believe she'd be making $15 million a year. That's not mm-hmm. exactly how it turned out, though, is it? No. The first year, she only made $2.8 million. So she sued CSS Industries in 2012 for basically breaking their promise and breaking their agreement with her and not getting her enough market saturation to meet the estimated revenues. Mm. And she's tried to protect her intellectual property through this whole process. Uh, that included against other organizations like Orb Factory for their designs, saying that their designs were far too similar to hers. That happened in 2015. Yeah, they had a, a court case but settled before the ruling. Yeah, which frequently happens when yeah. when parties aren't entirely certain how it's going to go. Um, Orb had to pay the jury fees for the trial in that settlement. Yeah. Um, but like we said in the intro, Lisa Frank is still around, still trying to make a comeback. And we're going to talk a little bit about that side of things, try to get a slightly more positive view on stuff. A slightly shinier rainbow. Yes. But we'll do that after this next break. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> 
That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Envy's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 1067 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Okay, 2012 was the year where Lisa Frank was upset that she only got that $2.8 million as opposed to the $15 million she had been sort of promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also did an interview with Urban Outfitters in 2012. And this was in an effort, sort of a marketing effort, about launching an apparel line with sort of a, a retro appeal to it. Yeah, yeah. She was going to sell apparel with her designs on it, Urban Outfitters. Now, the big thing about this interview, and it's under five minutes in length, is that she does not issue interviews. She doesn't let people take pictures of her. She just... Yeah, she's had demands that when she appeared in media that they blur out her face. Yeah. She wants to maintain her privacy. Yeah, so in this in this video, which is online, it's on YouTube, uh, she talks about her method. She talks about her passions. At one point, she calls herself a lunatic, which... I mean, you know... She puts a lot of moons on stuff that would make sense. She's yeah, hey, I like that. Yeah. Um I mean she's just very very passionate about her brand and her product. And so in that interview she's just in silhouette. It's kind of like if you were watching a an interview where someone's in witness protection and they're just, you know, their voice has been altered and you only see them in in uh darkness. Yeah. But the reason that she didn't do interviews that she didn't want to be seen on camera and there are some pictures of her out there is because she thought she was she wanted to stay out of the limelight, and she thought she was super, super famous. Hmm. Like, at one point, she said she understood how Michael Jackson felt about fame. Um, and, and people gave her a hard time about that, too. But, I mean, her, her name is her brand. So I guess if, if you go to a store where somebody's ringing you up and they really like Lisa Frank and they see that your name is Lisa Frank on a credit card, they might be excited. I guess. Uh, I mean, you know— it, it, I am not one to besmirch anybody on their uh, perception of their own fame, as I am someone who constantly misjudges <laughs> the extent or lack of, of fame I have. You're super famous to me, Jonathan. Thank you, Ariel. All right, so 2013 revenues are now down to $2.3 million a year, so even less than it had been. Uh, and so still not like an embarrassing small amount of money, but it was a far cry from the glory days of Lisa Frank Incorporated. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was around that point that she had to close all of her retail stores. Yeah, yeah. This was also when we found out that her staff, which at one point had been 350, maybe 400 people, was now down to six, like Mm -hmm. you had mentioned before the break. And uh, the... The interesting thing was that this was a report that was in the Arizona Daily Star, and Lisa Frank's own executive assistant said, well, that's not true. And then when asked to elaborate, did not do so, and then referred the reporter to the PR firm that handled press relations for Lisa Frank Incorporated. Who who hadn't been hired yet. Wow. So the potential (laughs) PR firm... Yeah, yeah, though by 2016, it was pretty much confirmed that the staff was... Down to, like, less than 10. Yeah, I mean, because you're getting these glass door reviews. Yeah. Um, 
it just, it's ridiculous to me. Um, you know, a lot of employees look at it and say that she possibly could have ridden the nostalgia market back into prominence. Yeah. Because stuff from the 80s and 90s is coming back, 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's it's a big trend. Sure. Um, but she's estranged all the people who would be really successful at helping her get there. Mm-hmm. Or at least her company has, if not her directly. Um, in 2016, there was a list price on her factory for $13 million or so. Um, well, I, I don't have that much rattling around, so I guess no. I'm, I'll have to stay out of the market for warehouses in Arizona. It was looking kind of kind of faded by then, anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, a brokerage firm was hired to find a buyer for the factory. Um, I don't think they did. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yikes. In 2017, uh, this is real interesting. There was a report that there would be – there were quite a few reports. A bunch of, of news outlets were reporting on this saying that there would be an animation live-action hybrid movie based on Lisa Frank characters developed by John Shestack, who did Air Force One. I mean, that's a – Exactly who I would go for. You know, I mean, he was excited about it. And get off my plane and onto my trapper keeper. In at least one interview, he was excited about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's an IMDb page for it. It was last updated June of 2018. Mm-hmm. And other than being announced, there's absolutely no information on this movie. Yeah. So this could just be another one of those projects that was talked about but never went any further than that. Uh Factory got it listed again in 2018, uh, but this time apparently maybe maybe it it had uh, matured in value because now it was 17 million dollar oh, asking well, price. We are out of the the bubble. Burst, That's true. The bubble, That's true. The, the market crash. But I can't imagine it got more valuable in those years, <laughs> but okay. Just maybe just the land around it. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, Lisa Frank is still out there, so you can't find her at Urban Outfitters anymore other than occasionally calendars or Christmas ornaments. Mm -hmm. That big push they made in 2012, they're not selling those items anymore. But you can occasionally find her at places like Target or Hot Topic. Yeah, Hot Topic, the Spencers of modern day. Yeah, I mean, Spencers still still exists. Kind of. (laughs) At a mall near Mead, there's a Hot Topic on one side and a Spencers on the other. Wow, living the dream. Yes, the JCPenney's there is still open, too. Uh, you can also find her. <laughs> is your mall stuck in a time warp? <laughs> it's actually very up and coming. Thank you. Okay. All right. Fine. Uh, you know, so she's still in these places, but she's just not as prolific as she used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now she, as we said, largely focuses on licensing her characters and artwork to other companies and letting them take care of the production. Um, but even that hasn't always gone smoothly, right? Yeah. So in 2017, she did. She collaborated on a makeup line with Glamour Dolls, and uh, they well exceeded their Kickstarter goal of $30,000. They made uh, 10 times that over. Uh, but as of 2019, there was still no makeup. Oh, this is starting to sound like coolest cooler. It, man, it's rough. So Glamour Dolls on the updates on the Kickstarter page listed their expenses, how much they made, and how much they needed to spend – uh, part of their costs were $550,000 in contractual payments to Lisa Frank Incorporated for artwork and the characters and the licensing and things like that. That sounds to me like maybe that $30,000 uh, goal, goal that they had enough. set. Yeah, that they they 
maybe there's something really hinky going on in the background there, like there were costs that had not yet been discussed mm-hmm. before all that went forward because that just seems weird to me. Yeah, they they had some some so they had to have the designs approved and then they had to have the artwork done and then they had to get them manufactured and they had some stuff that was approved and some stuff that had artwork and some stuff it was all over the place. Some stuff hadn't been approved, some stuff had been approved but didn't have artwork. Um the last update on the page is September 2018 where they said they were still trying to deliver products, but obviously they haven't. Yeah. Um, and then in April of 2019 – So not too long before we recorded this episode. Yes. It was announced that Lisa Frank would represent America in the 2021 Venice Biennial Exhibition, which is a big art to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got word that there might be a Lisa Frank subscription box in the works. Now, I don't know if Lisa Frank agreed to this biennial exhibition. I don't know why she wouldn't. But they did basically wanted to have a spotlight on, I guess, teenagers in the 90s hmm. or something. Um, so, I mean, she's taking some step forward. She's taking some steps back, it seems like. Yeah. But she's still around. You can still – quench that nostalgia crave if you really want. Yeah, I think uh, if we're talking about lessons learned, I think a big one that I would say, and this is one that we've chatted about in previous episodes too, is that that when you are a creative individual and you create a, a successful product of some sort, it really behooves you to find a a business partner who is more business oriented yeah. and has that management skill and that uh, that outlook and that approach rather than try and force someone else who also is a creative individual into that role because as we've seen in many cases, not just with Lisa Frank, that can that can ultimately lead to uh, a bad situation. Maybe not quite as toxic as this particular mm-hmm. one turned out to be, but it, it, it rarely turns out well. Yeah, and the story also kind of well, not kind of. It really drives home why a lot of companies don't want intercompany dating. Yes. Yes. It's uh, – Kind of the worst case scenario of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can think of uh, a lot of stories I've heard about people who got into relationships while they met at work. I can't think of any that, that had quite as much vitriol involved as this one. But uh, yeah, this is about as worst case scenario as I can imagine. It's like we're we're bordering on War of the Roses territory here, and I'm talking <laughs> about the the film. Um, yeah, that that was scary stuff. But it's still kind of amazing that her product still perseveres through that. Well, yeah, I mean the the talent is still there, mm-hmm. right? It's just the it was the the execution, the management of that talent that became a real issue. It's also I would imagine there was another challenge of any creative type handing over their their work to other people, that's yeah. always a, a risky endeavor. I mean, as someone who has written things that were directed by other people, that that alone is a challenging situation. It really is. So, yeah, I would imagine that that also played a part. Well, this was a strangely moving story for me because I, I, you know, again, on the surface, it's all rainbows. And unicorns. Yeah, and then you look at what's going on behind it and you realize, wow, there's there's some dark stuff here. Yeah, I, 
I put a little bit of a shadow on my own childhood there. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I can't wait till we do the Muppets and I somehow get incredibly disillusioned. That'll that'll be all very happy. Yes, yes. Uh, I actually know quite a lot about the Muppets already, but that's a story for a different time. Well, Ariel, uh, thank you for all of your hard research into this topic. And, of course, thanks to our listener for suggesting it. We hope that uh, this hasn't completely depressed you. But, uh, Ariel, where can people write to us if they want to give us suggestions for future episodes? Uh, they can write to us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. And you can go to our website. That is thebrinkpodcast.show. There you're going to find an archive of all of our past episodes plus information about your two beloved hosts, and until next time, I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I've been Ariel Kasten. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, and when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.